you have your Bibles, you can open them to Ephesians chapter 6. It should be marked in your Bible by now. We've been there for so long. But General Electric Power Company, go eat popcorn. Um, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians chapter 6. <clears throat> We're going to read verses 10 through 18 again tonight. If, if you're here uh, tonight for the first time, we are continuing our series on spiritual warfare, a series entitled Armed and Dangerous. Armed and Dangerous. We looked last uh, a couple of weeks ago on the belt of truth, and tonight we're going to pick up on the second piece of armor, um, the belt of righteous, or the breastplate of righteousness that, that Paul mentions in verse 14. So Ephesians chapter 10, or chapter 6... <laughs> Verses 10 through 14. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, because of this, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplications, supplication for the saints. The breastplate of righteousness. I was visiting with my son Tyler uh, this week just for a few hours, and um, when we arrived at his home, he was getting ready for work, and he met us at the door with his uniform on, but he did not have any of his armor that he wears uh, on top of his uniform on yet, and so we followed him into the house, and, and his uh, all of his equipment was laid out over his sofa, and uh, he picked up his belt uh, and I was struck. I had never gotten close to him. Uh, he, he always had it on when I saw him. And I had never seen his belt just laying there. And I realized I, I was struck with how heavy it looked. It, it really looked heavy. And, 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 he, and he put that on. And, and I couldn't help but notice all of the things that that belt held. It, it held his handcuffs. It held his radio, his baton, his firearm. It, it held extra magazines or extra ammunition. It held his taser. It held a tactical light. It had his keys and pepper spray. It, it had a door pop for his canine that he could press a button and release the door, and, and his canine would find him wherever he was. And, and I was fascinated by his belt, but I was really fascinated by the weight of that belt on my skinny son. And, and after he took that belt, he, he reached down and he got his bulletproof vest and, and he put that vest on. And, and I commented to him about, hey, you know, how heavy both of those things were on his little tiny frame. And, and he said, Mom, it weighs 35 to 40 pounds. And, and I thought to myself just for a moment, I wonder 
what it's like uh, for that skinny little guy to run after his canine at a high sprint when he's wearing all of that extra weight on him and how it must be a heavy burden. But as he put that bulletproof vest on, I just closed my eyes and I thanked the Lord just briefly for the protection that that vest afforded my son because you see that vest kept my son safe. It kept his heart safe. If an enemy, uh, 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 a perpetrator was going to go after my son, the first place he would aim is his chest. He'd aim for his heart, the most vulnerable organ in his body, a, a shot that could take him out. Can I tell you, we have an enemy who knows how to aim. It struck me without that vest, one bullet to his chest had the potential to take him out. So to me, it didn't matter the extra weight that he was carrying. It was a good thing. It protected his life. In Ephesians 6.14, Paul is, is talking about the breastplate of righteousness. Commentators believe that when Paul was writing about the armor, he, he would have been chained to a Roman soldier and would have been looking at the Roman soldier's armor and drawing spiritual uh, connections to that armor. And, and in this case, he looked at the breastplate that, that that soldier was wearing. It was part of the soldier's equipment. And uh, the breastplate that that soldier wore, Donna's not here tonight, so I couldn't send a picture, but, but, but look it up. It was a heavy metal breastplate that covered his arms and down his chest and all around his back, and, and it was heavy. And after I saw the weight of Tyler's uh, armor, I quickly came home and did a search because I wanted to know how much a Roman soldier's armor weighed. Do you know that the Roman soldier's armor weighed 65 to 80 pounds? It actually served uh, the same purpose that Tyler's bulletproof vest or his Kevlar served today. It protected the soldier's heart. It protected his lungs. It protected his stomach, his liver, his kidneys, all the vital organs, his gut, from attack or assault. If those organs get, get damaged, life is compromised. And the same is true in the spirit realm. I love how the Word of God always has a spiritual picture with a physical picture. It, somehow it helps us make those connections. The, the Word of God usually takes something that we're familiar with in, in the natural realm and, and uses it to give us a picture of the spirit realm. And so here, the breastplate covers the heart. The heart in the Bible, you know, Scripture draws, draws uh, pictures of the heart throughout Scripture. It says, above all things, guard your heart. It says that, that out of the heart flow the, the issues of life. It says that, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. It says that out of the, the heart flow evil thoughts, Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, false testimony, slander. Paul is saying, make sure you put on the breastplate of righteousness because it will protect your heart. Above all things, Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart. Guard your heart. 
What, what, what strikes me about the breastplate of righteousness, we talked about the belt of truth a few weeks ago, and, and, and in a, in a Roman soldier's um, armor, what would happen is the breastplate, because it weighed so much, I told you it could weigh up to 80 pounds, because it was so heavy, it, it would put so much burden on the, the soldier's shoulder, and it would be so heavy for him, and so the belt that he put around his waist had a, had a ledge that he could set that breastplate on so it would absorb some of the weight of that breastplate. Oh, I'm just going to tell you, the breastplate of righteousness. When we try to walk in a righteousness that is our own, it will be a heavy burden. Some of you are working and you're, you're trying to earn your salvation. You're working to be good enough to earn God's approval. But can I tell you what? That is a burden too heavy for you to carry. The truth of the word of God will show you that that righteousness is not of your own. That you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That it's imputed righteousness. That it came to you. You are in right standing with God because of what Christ did on the cross of Calvary. And when you try to carry that righteousness on your own, it's going to be like that soldier's armor. Far too heavy for you to bear on your own. It needs to be hooked into the truth of the word of God. Above all else, guard your heart. That's why the breastplate of righteousness is so vital. It protects our heart because everything we do flows from our heart. If the heart is not working right, it's true in the physical and it's true in the spiritual. If the heart is not working right, nothing else in the body works right. Are you with me? The heart pumps blood and oxygen throughout the body. It brings life to the body. And the same is true spiritually. The heart pumps life through the body. It is that place where God can pump his life through our, our spiritual body. For every spiritual principle, there's a physical counterpart so that we can understand that principle. Here it is the heart. The heart is the pump that God uses to infuse life into us and give us well-being and keep us alive spiritually. Above all else, guard your heart because your well-being is connected to your heart and what you're allowing access to that heart. Paul's saying righteousness is a protection to our heart. What is righteousness? If you look that up in the, the Greek uh, dictionary, it, it says this. It is the state of him who is as he ought to be. It is the condition acceptable to God. It's integrity, it's purity of life, it's virtue, it's rightness, it's correctness of thinking and feeling. Acting righteously is doing the right thing. It's acting in a way that pleases God. It's living the way that God tells me to live. Righteousness is a standard that God requires for people to be acceptable unto him. And his standard is his word of God. It's his will. And righteousness is my applying his truth, his will, to my everyday life. It's living according to his word that protects my heart. You see, we are masters at protecting our own hearts. <laughs> and not with righteousness. Some of us are masters at protecting. See, the whole goal in the breastplate of righteousness was keeping the heart from getting wounded, the heart from getting injured. Are you with me? And we are masters at keeping our hearts protected from getting injured. How do we do that? Somebody give me some ideas. Keep holding people at an arm's distance. How else do we protect our heart? 
Hardness of heart, that protects us. I'll just harden my heart and you can't hurt me. How else do we protect our heart? You build walls that keep, you hurt me once, shame on you. Hurt me twice, shame on me. I'm not letting you close to me. How else do we build walls? Isolation, unforgiveness, bitterness, keeping a record of wrongs. <laughs> Are you following me? We have all kinds of ways that we, we use to protect our hearts, but Paul is saying there is one method that protects your heart, and that is the breastplate of righteousness. Right living, living in according with God, accordance with God's word is how we protect our heart. You say, well, Rhea, you just told me that righteousness, it was not something I worked for. It's something that was imputed to me. <laughs> it's something that was given to me that I couldn't earn. Many of you will remember a number of years ago, maybe, maybe last year, I taught on the three tenses of salvation. And Lord, please, would you help me? Would you just give me the words and help me to say this as clearly as I can? Help me to remember only what I need to remember. But there are three tenses of salvation. They are, I'm being, I, I have been saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. Are you following me? Uh, you're saved. Justification is, is you've been saved. When you come to Jesus and know him as your Lord and Savior, you have been saved. You are free from the penalty of sin. On the cross of Calvary, he paid your sin debt. The last words he spoke were, Tetelestai, it is finished. Rhea Briscoe's sin debt was paid in full. So now you are freed from the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. When God looks at you now, he does not see your sin. He sees the blood of Jesus shed for you. It's just as if you've never sinned. Are you following me? And now the Bible says, it, it, it says that, that, that one man, let me just get the right scripture for you because I don't want to misquote it. I, I want you to have it clearly. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, to take our sin debt, to take our sin on himself, to pay the penalty that we owed, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's the exchange of life principle. We give him our dead life. We give him our sin. He exchanges it for his righteousness. We are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We can now come boldly into the throne room of God, not on our merit, not on our well-doing, not on our sinless perfection, but rather because of the price that was paid for us on the cross of Calvary, because of the blood of Jesus and the righteousness that has been imputed to us, we get to approach God boldly and confidently in our time of need. Do you see it? It's imputed righteousness. And, and that is what some commentators say this breastplate is. I believe it's bigger than that. I believe it's that and. Uh, and so, but, but, but just stay with me. Proverbs 13, 6, righteousness guards the person of integrity, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. Righteousness guards the person of integrity, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. You see, the enemy knows that righteousness guards your life. That's why he specializes in trying to lure us into unrighteous living. 
because he understands that our position, what I just described to you, is your position now in Christ Jesus. Are you with me? I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's my position. Nothing can ever change that. If you're here tonight and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you've accepted the gift that he has given you, that you've repented and confessed your sin, and you've received what he did for you on the cross of Calvary and made him your Lord and Savior, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You didn't earn it. You couldn't be good enough for it. It was a gift that he gave to you. By grace, by grace through faith, are you with me? You did not earn it. That's your position. However, my condition doesn't always line up with my position. Now, the enemy knows that he cannot ever keep me out of, out of heaven. There's nothing he can do. I didn't earn it. I can't be good enough for it. It was a gift of God that I accepted. Are you with me? He hates that. My son Tyler says, Mom, if he can't make you, if he can't keep you, uh, if he can't take you to hell, he's going to make you live like hell here on earth. And I believe there's something to that. Because you see, what happens is the enemy knows that he can't get behind that breastplate of righteousness. That he can't give a wound to that heart. So what he does is he tries to lure us out of that place of, uh, even though it's a position, he tries to lure us out of that place and get us our condition to look differently. Gets us to forget about our position and start living a condition. Are you with me? And so he, he lures us out into uh, uh, unrighteous living. And we take that breastplate off and forget who we are, and then he gets a blow to the heart. He gets to, to wound the heart. In Paul's time, if the soldier did not wear his breastplate, he was vulnerable to attack, and it could result in instant death. If my son uh, does, takes off his bulletproof vest and goes after a bad guy, he is vulnerable to, to death. And that's exactly why the enemy tries to entice us away from living righteously. Because he knows when you're not wearing that breastplate of righteousness, you're not protected. And he tries to get you out of that place. I was listening to, uh, or I read a book, uh, something that Priscilla Schreier did on the armor of God. And she, she, she did a wonderful series on the armor of God, if you haven't heard it. She tells a story about, about her three sons. She has three sons. They live in Dallas-Fort Worth. And, but they live in a very rural part of Dallas-Fort Worth. And she said her boys just get bored easily. And she intentionally moved to that royal, rural area so that when they got bored, she could say, well, go outside and climb a tree or go ride your bike. Or, and she said across the street from their house uh, is her, uh, her, one of her best friends. And she lives uh, on, on a little lake, a little pond behind her house. And she said her boys love to go over there. They, they love to go fishing in that pond. And she said her, her girlfriend bought a, a boat on Craigslist. It was just a little metal uh, rowboat that the boys love to take out on the water. And then when they come back out, they turn it upside down and, and store it on the shore of, of the bank. And, and she said that they just love it there and she said so every time they go the boys are like mom can we take the rowboat out and she said she doesn't always love to do that because in order to do it she has to turn the boat over uh, because it's been stored upside down and she said the environment that's created underneath that upside down rowboat is moist and damp and shaded and it's conducive for 
snakes and frogs and other creepy things to hide under. And so she said, inevitably, when she turns the, the boat over, something either hops out or waddles out or worse, slithers out underneath it. And, and she said, I always brace myself for, for, for something to come out from under that rowboat. And she said, it always amazes her that never once has she had to write an invitation and send it into the brush nearby and say, critters, you're welcome to join us. We'll be here at one o'clock today. If any of you would like to come, please feel free to come and make yourself at home. She said, I never had to do that. She said, an invitation isn't necessary. She said, the environment created by the upside-down boat is enough. Unrighteousness is an upside-down behavior that creates an environment for the enemy to come and make himself at home. But righteousness is right-side-up living that invites the Son of God's favor and his blessing upon our life. Can I just tell you that you and I do not have to issue an invitation for the enemy to come. We just have to choose to not live in alignment with the word of God. And we have created an environment that has invited him in and encourages him to find a place of rest in our lives. But righteousness, right side up living, guards our life. The righteousness that Paul has in mind here is not perfection. It's choosing to live your life in alignment with the word of God. It's girding ourselves with truth. Girding ourselves with truth means to affirm God's holy standard in our life. And his standard, as I said, is his word. So many of us say that we love Jesus. We, we even say we love his word. But we'll leave here tonight... And we will live in a manner that opposes the very word that we say we love. And we'll live an upside-down life and create an environment where the enemy is welcome in our life. Where he can hide out in our life. Where he can slither in unnoticed into our life. Righteous living is aligning ourselves with the standard of God's word. Not what I feel not what the world says is right, not what Susie down the street is doing or Bob at work is doing, but it's living according to God's word no matter what. No matter how I feel, no matter how wrong it feels, it is saying, yes, Lord, I will live according to your word because it protects my heart, it protects my life. If you're seeing garbage in your life, things like gossip, malice, slander, hatred, uh, sexual immorality, impurity of any kind, <coughs> jealousy, unforgiveness, ask yourself, is my boat turned upside down? Because that's an environment, those things come from an environment where the enemy is allowed to work. <coughs> where you don't have your boat turned right side Righteousness guards the person of integrity, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. <coughs> Many of you are sitting here tonight feeling overthrown by the enemy, and you might say, Rhea, I didn't invite this stuff into my life. Maybe not, but your, thank you, honey, maybe not, but your upside-down behavior did. Unrighteousness is an invitation to the enemy to come in and attack your life. We were in Florida at a house in Florida, and somebody said to us, watch out for the roaches. And I'm like, watch out for the roaches? 
I don't do roaches. And I'm like, Dave, keep your suitcase zipped up. Don't put anything out where the roaches could get in. And I'm like, I, don't, I want to check out of this place <coughs> right now. I don't want anything to do with roaches. But here's what they said. Don't let anything out on the counters. Because if you let food or garbage out, they attract the roaches. It attracts the roaches. And so you can get rid of the roaches temporarily. But if you still let the garbage there, they're going to come back in droves. That the garbage is the thing that attracts the roaches. See, some of you are trying to clean up your behavior, <laughs> but you haven't gotten the garbage out of your life, and it attracts the enemy. The enemy is attracted to unrighteous behavior. And if you want him out of your life, get rid of the garbage. Get rid of the unrighteous behavior. You say, Rhea, that's a works mentality. No, that's not. That's working out your salvation. Let's go to the next tense. The next tense of the salvation is, of, of the salvation, of salvation is, I'm being saved. Well, you say, how is that possible when I've been saved? I'm being saved. It is, I'm now being freed from the power of sin. It's the sanctification process. Sanctification means set apart, made holy. <laughs> See, the Bible says be holy because I'm holy. The Bible says strive. <laughs> Leah, what's the scripture? Make every effort to live at peace with one another and be holy. <laughs> and be holy. And be holy. Make every effort. Wait a second. That's works, Rhea. That's the Bible. Now, if you're going to argue with me, at least know the Bible you're quoting. Because I will quote it back to you. Make every effort. Effort to be holy. That means I have a part in this. But I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's your position. Now, start lining your condition up with your position. That's the sanctification process. Here's a scripture for you. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. <clears throat> the word salvation means deliverance. I want to be delivered. I hate this thing in my life, but I'm going to heaven. I hate the way I behave, but praise the Lord, I'm going to heaven. Work out your salvation. Work it out. Work out that deliverance by obeying the word of God. And letting that salvation that's in you, you've been sealed for the day of redemption. Nothing can mess with that. You can be as messed up as you want to be. You can sin all you want. But if you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're sealed for the day of redemption. But I'm telling you, that's not a way to live. It's a, it's a long life. A long, miserable life. And I don't know about you. I want to walk in power. I want to walk in authority. I want, I want life. I, I want the abundant life that Christ died for me to have. I don't just want to slip through, uh, you know, slip through, get to heaven by the skin of my teeth. I just don't want to do that. And, and so I, I, this has nothing now, what we're talking about no longer has anything to do with you earning salvation. That's a done deal. It's over. It's done with. You're going to heaven. Hallelujah. We're now talking about quality of life here on earth. Work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. For it is God who works in you. Oh my goodness, it's God who works in me. Yes, the same grace that saved us, as Peter says, is now grace has been given for obedience. <laughs> See, the grace people, we like that grace message. But, but let me take you through some scripture. You've been given grace for obedience. I have a dear friend who I love so much. <laughs> and he said... I've been saved by grace, Rhea. It doesn't matter what I do anymore. 
and his life is messed up. Is it messed up? It's messed up. Because he bought into that lie that doesn't matter how I live anymore. I'm saved by grace. And he is. But his life is messed up. Sanctification. You're being saved. You're being saved from the power of sin. God died. Christ died so that, that you not only could be freed from the penalty of sin, but he wants you saved from the power of sin. He doesn't want that thing to have any power in your life anymore. It only has the power that you give it, that you give into. That you give into. Sanctification process. Oh, I have so much that I just want to tell you tonight. But um, so you're, you're being, uh, sanctification is you're, you're being saved. <laughs> Make every effort to live in peace with men and holy. Without holiness, Hebrews 12 says, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see will see the Lord. Wayne Grudem says, the definition of sanctification uh, is a progressive work of God that man can make us that and man that makes us more and more free from sin and more and more like Christ in our actual life. That's what sanctification is. It's when the believer becomes more and more separated from sin and more and more dead standard of righteousness. Larry Richards said, Jesus did not suffer simply to take us to heaven when we die. Jesus died to rescue us from the dominion of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of the son he loves. That rescue calls for a revolution in our lifestyle. We are no longer to gratify the cravings of our sinful nature or to follow our evil desires and thoughts. To make a godly kingdom lifestyle possible, God gave us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit living within us so that through his promptings and the power he provides, we now can offer ourselves to God, as Scripture says, as instruments of righteousness. That's the sanctification process. God never intended for us. See, this is what we do. We have, he doesn't want us to fake righteousness. I see this all the time in the church. In fact, Dave and I talk about it a lot. It, it's one of my buttons. You know that on Sunday morning, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. How you doing, sister? It's good to see you. Praise the Lord. <laughs> great, great message, pastor. Praise the Lord. That was a good, good word. Good word, pastor. You come to prayer meeting on Wednesday night? I'll be at prayer meeting Wednesday night. I don't want to miss Monday night Bible study. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Then you get in the car and you fight the whole way home and, and your, your behavior is ugly the rest of the week. We're good fakers. We can put on a spiritual mask and we can look super, super good. And here's the beautiful thing. You might fool me. I'm a, I have a gift of discernment, so I doubt that you'll fool me. But you might fool Dave. He, he you know, you, <laughs> but we think we have to fake it till we make it. And we actually think we're fooling God. You might fool Dave. You might fool me. But you will not fool God. And you certainly will not fool the enemy either. Because he is fully aware of his traps and his snares. One of those is to make you fake righteousness. Because he does, he knows you don't have to. That you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And if you ever really get a hold of that and you start living up to that, oh my goodness, what might change in his kingdom? But we fake it till we make it. I have seven kids. Whew. I'm so glad they're grown. Um, it was hard raising seven kids in a pastor's house because teensy tiny little house, everybody's sharing bedrooms, sometimes three in a bedroom. It was crazy. 
And, and I am a clean freak. I'm just going to be honest. I'm throwing myself under the bus. I might have an issue. I, I like clean and tidy and neat. I like it. I like it a lot. And, and there's just no way you can do that when you're raising seven kids. And so I would always be mortified if someone came to visit and my house, and they didn't call first because then my house wasn't picked up because it was a big deal to me, and I want it neat and tidy. And so if we knew that somebody was coming over to visit, I'd be like, kids, hurry up and clean your room. And we'd just start picking things up and, like, throwing it in the closet and under the bed and closing the door so nobody sees it, you know, putting it all in the laundry room, our laundry room. Dave's laughing because he knows this is so true. Our laundry room, the door would shut. I'd be like, don't go in the laundry room, whatever you do. Nobody open the laundry room while they're here. I, you just did it. You just put it all away because out of sight, out of mind. And, and it looks so great. My house looks so neat and tidy. But don't open the door because what you might find, I just am not going to be responsible for it. But that's how my kids would clean their room, too. I would, they learned it from me. I'm just not going to lie. And, and I would say, clean up your room. And like 15 minutes later, they'd be downstairs. I'd be like, what did you do? And so I'd go up to inspect it. And I'd be like, wow, guys. And then I remembered what I did. And I'd open the door and look under the bed. And sure enough, they learned that from mom. For some of you, that's righteousness. If you just keep it pushed down and hidden and covered up, and concealed, and you look good for the guests in your life, <laughs> nobody will ever know. Oh, but guess what? When daddy comes to inspect, he knows exactly where to look. And there's now, therefore, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of, 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 he sees the blood of Jesus. But he has so much more for you than that. My son Tyler called me, poor Tyler. He said, Mom, people are going to get so sick of hearing about me, but he's my best material. But, but he called me last night. Now, we had just seen my grandson, and you do not ever condemn a grandson to a, a grandma. I'm just telling you, I'm going, to, I'm going to choose their side, even if you're my son. Sorry. But, but so he called me last night, and he said, Mom, I'm just calling for prayer. And I'm like, what's wrong, baby? And he said, oh, I need you to pray for Olten. He said, I just feel like my house needs anointed. He said, I just, I just feel like it just needs prayer through my whole house. And I'm like, Ty, I was just there. What, what, <laughs> what changed overnight? And, and he's like, Olten is just so naughty, Mom. Like, he, he, he's the sweetest little boy, and then suddenly he just gets so naughty. And he said, and, and, I, get, and I get impatient with him, and I try to correct him. And, and I said, and he knows he got you, Ty, doesn't he? he and, and I said, why don't you just try, instead of correcting him, to remind him who he is? What a sweet boy he is. Because his grandma knows he's a sweet boy. What a sweet boy he is. Why don't, why don't you just tell him who he really is, Ty? You know what? When Daddy comes into our room, the room of our heart, and he finds an external righteousness that we have put on, but he knows that our heart is full of wickedness. He doesn't get angry with us and correct us. He doesn't get frustrated with us like Ty did Alton. Because he knows who we are. He knows what he put in us. And he just calls us to be that. 
Stop trying to fake it till you make it and just start realizing who you are. You say, well, Rhea, where do I find that out? Right here. James says that this Bible right here, the Word of God, the will of God, is like a mirror. I've been staying away from mirrors lately because I put on some weight and that's my uh, weakness. And I, when I go near the, the mirror, it shows me who I really am. I can't hide it. You know, if I wear big enough clothing, comfy clothing, if I stay in my sweatpants all day, I don't have to come into the truth of who I really am. <laughs> but when I look in the mirror, there's no hiding it. I have to come face to face with it. The Bible says that this is my mirror, that the word of God is like a mirror, and that I look in it and I catch my reflection. It shows me who I am. And the Bible says that sometimes we look into the Word and we walk away forgetting what we look like. That's why it's so important we stay girded and belted in with the truth. That we keep ourselves girded in this Word. So that we look into it and it reflects back to us and it says, this is who you are. You're better than that. You're not a liar. You're, you're a truth teller. You, you, are, you are not unworthy. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. You're a lender and not a borrower. You are kind. You are compassionate. You are merciful. You are forgiving. You're not judgmental and critical. You're not full of slander and gossip. You love one another. You pray for your enemies. You bless those who curse you. This is, this is who you are. You're being, you're being Alton for a minute, and you're acting in a way that's unbecoming and not like you. Usually it's because my heart's been injured somehow. Usually when I'm ugly and ugly stuff comes out of me, it's because I have a heart wound. And the only way to deal with that heart wound is to get that breastplate back on. To protect my heart by doing what's right. And it takes me back to a place of protection. Let me just flush that out for you. The enemy wants so badly, this message is so discombobulated, I, I hope you're able to follow me, but um, the enemy tries so hard. See, he understands that he cannot mess with your position. He can't keep you out of heaven. That's a done deal. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The reason that I believe, I, I believe it's a both and, because I think sometimes he comes and he says, oh, you're not good enough for God. God doesn't love you. Who do you think you are to approach God? That's when you have to get behind your breastplate and say, that, that arrow is not going to touch me. That, that ballistic weapon is not going to penetrate the truth of who I am. Here's my breastplate of righteousness. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That bullet is not coming into my heart. That's not going to penetrate me. Are you with me? So I, I think that's true. But here's what I really think also. A both and. I think that righteousness is a protection. When we live right, it protects our life. Some of you, that's a works mentality. Rock on with your bad self, I don't care. One of my favorite scriptures is, God's pleasant path leads to pleasant places. 
when we do what his word tells us to do, it leads us to pleasant places. Well, you say, Rhea, it's not what I feel. My gut tells me to do something different. My heart, that's deceitful above all things, says, I don't deserve to be treated like that, so I need to retaliate. My, 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 uh, my mind says, you know, all these things that, 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 that the enemy has spoken over me must be true. So I want you to think about the, the breastplate and what it covered. It covered the heart, which is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, the place where evil thoughts come, the, the place where murder, adultery, impurity, sexual thoughts come. It covered the kidneys, which filters toxins, the stuff that people have spoken over us and to us and about us. <laughs> and the gut, the place of the emotions, the place of the feeling, you feel it in your gut. Yeah, and so what that tells me is that if I have made a decision that I am protecting myself with the word of God and I'm not going to give in to gut feelings or emotions or toxic thoughts or what Whatever it is, <laughs> I'm protected when I keep that breastplate on, when I do what's right no matter how I feel. But the second I take off righteousness and I start moving into unrighteousness, all of those things are exposed and vulnerable for attack. Is that clear? Are you following me? Do you see the difference between me just saying, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and still letting my gut lead me, still letting my emotions guide me, still letting my heart that's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked drain me of life. Do you see it? The breastplate of righteousness. It's protection. When we do what's right, when we obey God's word, we are protected. That, that's why I, I really believe, well, here, listen to this. Tony Evans says, keeping us unaware of our own sin is one of Satan's strategies in spiritual warfare because he knows we will not confess that which we do not recognize. However, when we do confess the sin in our lives, God removes that stain and stench of sin from us. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because of your positional righteousness in Christ Jesus, you are able to maintain relational rightness before God at all times by confessing our sin to God. What Tony Evans is saying is, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's our position. It's positional righteousness. However, the enemy knows <laughs> that we have relational rightness as well. That sin... If he can entice us into sin and living unrighteous, it interferes with our relationship with God. Not because God has, has walked away, but because we have chosen to walk away from his commands. This is how I know you love me. You keep my commandments. We live a life of love because of what he's done to us. Our response is to live a life of love, to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to live a life that brings him glory in all that we do. And we do that by obeying his word. Are you with me? And the enemy knows that our fellowship, this man and I are in covenant. We are married. We, <laughs> nothing's ever going to change that. I'm just telling you. He's stuck with me forever. I'm a determined woman. He could do just about anything to me, and he's stuck with me. Because I understand covenant. 
I understand covenant. I am not walking away from a vow I made, not to Dave Briscoe, but to God. I'm not doing it. I understand vows. I understand covenant. And I'm not going anywhere. He is stuck with me. However, he can tick me off like nobody. Like, push every button in my body. And, and I can, he can hurt me. And our fellowship is marred. I can be wounded by him. Are you with me? He can do something and not say he's sorry, and it's going to mar our fellowship, our relationship. I'm still going to be in covenant with him. He's still stuck with me. It just, we're not going to be as intimate and connected as we had been because of that sin. Now, if he comes to me and says, Ria, I'm sorry I did that, then, our then I'll forgive him, and, and, and our relationship is restored. So... If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So unrighteousness must mar my fellowship with him. And if I go to him, he's faithful and just to forgive my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Our relationship is reestablished. Our intimacy is reestablished. See, some of you, God feels far off and distant and doesn't seem really involved in your life. I would tell you to just spend some time in his presence, just coming into agreement and calling the things in your life what he calls them, sin or wrongdoing, or not just a bad choice, not just a bad day, but I sinned. I disobeyed your word, and I'm sorry. And just watch what happens with that. So the enemy knows that. He knows that I, he can't take my, my position away, my standing with God, but he can sure interfere with my communion with him if he lures me out into unrighteousness. And so that's why that breastplate is so vitally important um, uh, uh, in, in, in this relationship with Christ, I'll say to you. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Paul is saying, this is a matter of great importance. I'm going to insist on it, that you stop living the way the Gentiles do. Stop living like the unbeliever down the street in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life Guard your heart because it's a place of life. Separate it from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in, in them due to the hardness of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, it doesn't even bother them anymore. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We have to choose to put off the old man and put on the new man. Well, we want to put off that old man because Satan has an ally in him. You see, when we come to Christ, a new man is born in us, but that old man still exists. He has to be crucified daily. 
Larry Richards says the new self yearns for and responds to God while the old self continues to respond to the sinful cravings and desires. We Christians are people at war within ourselves. It is the old self that continues to crave the pleasures of sin. Satan and his demons have an ally in that old self, an intimate ally, an inside man who is ignorant of the implications of what he's doing and is eager to open up doors through which demons may gain access to us. Remember, we're told not to give place to the devil. When we live in an unrighteous manner, we give him place. Getting caught up in sin and giving in to the cravings of the flesh is simply a failure to master that old self. Genesis 4-7 says, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must master it. We have to put off that old man and put on the new self. It, the tense that's used in that scripture is it's a constant putting off and a constant putting on. When I get up in the morning, I decide what I'm going to put on that day. Trust me, you do not want this woman to come out. Uh, you do not want to see me not dressed properly. I just tell you, it's a scary sight. You, you, and the old man is a scary sight. You do not want to come into the, into the world, into your daily routine, uh, not dressed with the new man, not putting on that new man. We want to put off the old man, put on the new man. If I get dressed in the morning and I go out and spill coffee down my shirt, I am going to go home and, and change my clothing. I don't like to be soiled. Can I just tell you that some of us get up in the morning, we put on Christ, we put on a new man, we decide we're going we're gonna to walk in obedience to the word of God and somebody pushes our butt and pulls out in traffic in front of us or flips us the bird. And all of a sudden, the old man <laughs> comes out. The, the new man gets soiled and that old man comes out again. We have to choose to take it off and put it back on. Because that old man is being corrupted with sinful desires. And the new man is made new in the attitude of the mind. He's created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. We must daily apply experientially the truths that are ours positionally. And all that working out our salvation entails. Put off and put on. So in closing, I just want to remind you, of a quote from Priscilla Shire. First, let me just go back. I told you I started in the beginning to tell you how much Tyler's armor weighed and how much the armor of a Roman soldier weighed and how that armor was so heavy and it was too big a burden for the soldier to carry. And so it rested on the belt of truth, the belt. Living a righteous life is going to be a burden that's too heavy for you to carry. You have to start with the knowledge that you are positionally righteous. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When you came to Christ, you've heard me say this, we are a three-part being, body, soul, and spirit. When you came to Christ, your old man was born again, was made new in the spirit. The spirit man was reborn. That's why the Bible says you're sealed for the day of redemption. That, that spirit man was sealed. However... You're a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body. Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. When you came to Christ, you were made new. Your, your, your soul was not made new. That's how people come to Christ and they go home as ugly as they came, you know, still with the same behaviors. Because the soul, the spirit, the, the mind, the will, the emotions, we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. Helmet of the, this, the mind, the will, the emotions, the soul is transformed by renewing the mind. 
you become transformed. It's not made new. It's a transforming process that happens as the mind gets renewed with the Word of God. As you plant the Word of God in there, the, the mind gets made new. Now, the Spirit... The spirit that's been sealed for the day of redemption, that's where that righteousness, it flows out of you from that place. But you have to keep that, that soul in line. And then the, the body, your, your third part is the body. The body likes to, that's the fleshly part of you. It's a fleshly part of you. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a, a body. And so for, for, for the, the, the righteous, the, to walk in righteousness, yes, it's a position. But what happens is we have to tell our soul the, the, the weight of having to do what's right and to, to behave rightly has to be anchored in truth. And that truth is the word of God. And as we renew our mind in the word of God, that righteousness, the burden of being righteous, walking rightly, doing the right things, walking in obedience becomes less and less because you're in the word of God. The word of God is dictating. You're depositing that in you. And that's what's coming out of you. That's why it's so important that we, we store up the word of God richly, within us because what's in us comes out of us out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks are, are you with me all right so in closing i want to remind you um, of that quote from priscilla schreier unrighteousness is upside down behavior that creates an environment for the enemy to come and make himself at home but righteousness is right side up living that invites the son of god's favor and his blessing in our life you say, Rhea, I'm not perfect, I make mistakes. Yes, and you will be until the day you die. That's the third tense of salvation. I shall be saved. You say, well, I have been saved, I'm being saved, and I shall be saved. Yep. I can give you biblical backing for all of those. Uh, I shall be saved is glorification. And that doesn't happen until we get to heaven to be with Jesus. And that's when we're saved from the presence of sin. Sin will not be an issue in our life anymore. I'm saved from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and eventually the presence of sin. That's glorification. You will not be perfect till you stand before the Father. We are working out our salvation. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times and he gets up every single time. But here's what I want to tell you. That the Bible says in Revelation that the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, stands before God accusing the, the brethren night and day. He is looking for a reason to accuse you before God. He doesn't have one because you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But that's why we need to, people say, well, why don't I need to confess my sin? Well, I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to because I'm not giving the devil one thing to, confess, to, to accuse me before God. Because he is in the courtroom of heaven. We see that in Job. We see that in the, the, the book of Job, that he is in the courtroom of heaven. And, and he is the prosecuting attorney. Can I tell you? Jesus is the defending attorney. The Bible says he ever lives to make intercession for us. That he, he goes to the Father on, on our behalf. But, the, but God is who? The judge in that courtroom. And he is, he is, he, laws are important to God. And so when the enemy has a legal right in our life, he has to back that up. God has to honor that legal right. When we give the devil a legal right to operate in our life, God has to back it up because he's a God of law. 
And so the enemy comes into the courtroom and he says to, to God, did you see Rhea? Did you see what she did? Did you see she lost her temper? Did you see that? And he's accusing night and day. He's a, he's a prosecuting attorney. But in confession, I walk into that courtroom and I say, you know what, God? I just want to come into agreement that I did that. And I'm guilty. But I thank you that because of the blood of Jesus, that's payment made for me. That I have an advocate. I have an advocate in Jesus. And that his blood says it's finished. It's done. It's over. Wash me and make me clean. The enemy loses his right to accuse me because I've come into agreement with God. Guilty as I, as, as I have been accused. Jesus says, not guilty because of the blood of Jesus. Do you see it? I will not give him any reason to accuse. I won't to find an accusation against me. I'm quick. I'm quick to come into agreement with God about my sin. Because my standing, my position can never change, so I don't have anything to lose. Alton, my son, <laughs> you know, he can scold Alton all he wants, but nothing's ever going to change that Alton is his son. Nothing's going to change that. Nothing. I know that he, Alton can be as naughty as he wants to be, and Tyler's still going to melt every time he sees him because that little boy is precious. I can do whatever I want, and I'm still a child of the king. Nothing's ever going to change that. And see, that's in a place, that's a place for me that I can work out my salvation without fear of condemnation, without, yeah, it's just awesome. Some of you have heard me tell the story about um, Johnny and his sister Susie, and i tell you this in closing. Uh, Johnny and Susie went to their grandma's uh, for the weekend, and they were excited to go and Grandma had a toy slingshot there that, that Johnny loved to play with, but he could not hit the broadside of a barn with his slingshot. And so Grandma said to him, you know, only use it in the woods. Go out in the woods and play. And, and he did, and then it came time for, for lunch, and Grandma called him in, and he was coming in, and as he walked by the barn, he spotted Grandma's uh, pet duck on the woodpile. And he thought, well... I haven't been very good with a slingshot anyway. I'm just going to give it a shot. And so he, he put a little stone in it, and he pulled back on the slingshot, and he aimed at that duck, and he let it fly, and bam, right between the eyes, and he killed the duck. And he thought, oh, no, that's Grimble's pet duck. What am I going to do? So he quickly, realizing what he had done, he quickly ran over to the woodpile, and he shoved the dead duck up underneath the woodpile, and he turned to go in for lunch, only to see that his sister Susie was standing there and had seen the whole thing. And she didn't say anything at that time. But after lunch, when it came time to do the dishes, Grandma said, Susie, uh, you know, can you just help me with the dishes? And Susie said, oh, no, Grandma. Johnny told me that he wanted to help you with the dishes today. <laughs> didn't you, Johnny? And then she winked and said, remember the duck? And so Johnny helped with the dishes and... After lunch, Grandpa said, Let's, who wants to go fishing? And, and Grandma said, no, Susie can't go fishing because I need her to help me prepare dinner. And Susie said, oh, no, Grandma. Johnny told me that he wanted me to go fishing and that he would help you with dinner, didn't you, Johnny? 
And then she said, hmm, remember the duck? And Johnny stayed home from fishing and helped with dinner. And next day, it came time to clean their rooms. And Susie said, you know, Grandma, I, Johnny wants to clean. He's been such a good brother. He actually wants to help me. He, he, he told me he, he would do my room. He cleaned my room for me, didn't you, Johnny? Remember the duck? So Johnny cleaned the room for Susie. But at that point, he was like, you know what? Anything that Grandma could dish out has to be better than what Susie is doing to him. And so he decided that he would go to Grandma and he would confess the whole thing because he was tired of what Susie was doing with him. And so he went to her and he confessed what had happened. And she leaned down and hugged him and, and gave him a kiss. And she said, Johnny, I was standing at the kitchen window and I saw everything that had happened. And she said, I, I, I love you, so I forgave you immediately. She said, but I was just waiting to see how long you would let Susie make a slave out of you. And when I read that story, I thought about the enemy of our soul. Because we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There's nothing you can do to change that. He loves you. He loves you. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to perform. The righteousness that we're talking about tonight is, is just making your life easier here on earth. <laughs> But here's what happens. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times and he gets up every time. But So the enemy wants you to fall. He, he wants to make you feel guilty. He wants to make a slave out of you. He wants you to be miserable. And he reminds you of your sin. I, I heard a saying one time, when the enemy comes to remind you of your sin, you remind him of his future. And for some of you, the enemy is doing that. He is constantly reminding you of your sin, of your shortcomings, of how you'll never measure up, you'll never be good enough. And you come into agreement and say, yep, you're exactly right. That's why I need Jesus. That is why I need Jesus. And that's why Jesus came. Because you can never be good enough. God's standard is not attainable for you. It's not attainable for me. If God kept a record of wrongs, who in this room could stand? Not one of us. There is the Romans says there is none that are righteous. No, not one. None of you will ever be good enough. I don't care on your best day you're not good enough because his standard is perfection. And the only way you could do that is through Jesus, through the cross of Calvary and what he provided for you on that cross. But we need to anchor ourselves in the breastplate of righteousness, protect our hearts, protect our internal, our vital organs with the, with the knowledge that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So would you just pray with me? Father God, I thank you. I pray, Lord, that anything that I said that wasn't from you would just fall to the ground and die and be swept away. That only your truth would remain, Lord God. I pray that no matter how I said it, Father, that you would wing it home into their hearts and their minds as truth and, and, and that, you would, um, that you would bring clarity, that you'd bring understanding, that you'd bring insight and wisdom to the scriptures that were, were um, uh, talked about tonight. Lord, help us to make application of this word to our hearts and our minds. Help us to, to live, Lord, in a manner that brings you glory and honor and praise. 
Father, we love you and we thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for the, the sacrifice that Jesus paid on the cross of Calvary for us. That is love. Greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for another. And Lord, thank you. Thank you for the price that you paid for us. We are people bought with a price. Help us to be mindful of that as we go out into this world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.